Hello, friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Before we take you to your favorite Sports History Network show, just want to tell you a little bit about some merch that you can pick up that represents your favorite SHN podcast. So far, there's t-shirts, coffee mugs, and even books from some of the authors that do podcasts right here on SHN. Who could buy something better than that than have the history right from the, the gentleman that you hear talking about it? But we also are adding things each and every day. And where's that store, may you ask? Well, it's at SportsHistoryNetwork.com. Up at the top, there is the SHN. Merch button. Click on that. It'll take you right to the store, and you can be representing your favorite podcast and show the world that hey, on the swag that I'm using, it's the headquarters of sports yesteryear, Sports History Network, and my favorite podcaster, the Sports History Network store. Shop there today. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. My name is Oz Davis, and this is Truly the Goats, sports history as told through its superstars. For episode 12 of Truly the Goats, we had on the show Emmett Ryan, a journalist, sports writer, and an old compadre of mine from my days covering European basketball. The idea was to talk some star dual players of the Irish national sports of hurling and Gaelic football. And we did, but we also managed to talk around the entire sports world in about 45 minutes or so, at least touching on American football, Canadian football, rugby, boxing, cricket, baseball, sumo, fencing, and of course, basketball, plus a Brian Scalabrini name drop. Following is the entire unexpurgated conversation romping free in the stream of consciousness, sports style. Enjoy. Emmett Ryan, thanks for joining us on Truly the Goats. It's uh, it's great to be on Oz. Like you know, it's, it's been a while since we talked as well. Like you know, it's the uh, first time I'm talking to you properly during the pandemic. I can say that, but yeah, it's 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 <laughs> you know, it, it's wild. Like and it's it's great to be talking about about sports I used to play as a young guy as well. Mm-hmm. As a much younger man than I am now, for sure. Mm-hmm. How central are sports and especially the Gaelic sports to Irish culture in the 21st century? Oh, oh, they're still huge. Like sport as a whole, I think is it was definitely much grander in terms of Irish culture than just our own sports. But the 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 championship season, what we basically would call a playoffs, so to speak, although it's a little bit more complex than that. That sort of you know captures the general attitude of the of the of the audience around here through the summer months into like sort of September when the finals are on. And yeah, it's like so that'd be the key time. But it's like you know rooted a lot into communities as well. So the smaller clubs, which sort of would feed into the larger county teams, they're like key parts of most rural communities and pretty important in urban communities in very different ways, oddly, uh, now than they would have been historically. But like that being said, like while as individual sports are both huge, like the biggest participation sport remains soccer. That's obviously a lot of sort of the British slash European influence, and like you know the the biggest draw, even though they're terrible at the moment, is still the national soccer team. And I mean they've been mm-hmm. they've been bad for a while, Oz. Uh, I don't think anyone who uh, you know it's like sort of is recalling sort of you know great Irish teams of the last couple of years. You might recall teams if you're listening from like about 20 years ago, but not so much yeah. of recent years. And uh, that's not an accident. And obviously rugby is also huge here. Again, that'd be a lot of the UK influence, and we've generally been better at that. Although that it does help that far fewer countries play it, uh, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, I suppose the curious thing is for domestic sports, for because they are really they, while there are GA clubs all over the world, and you know, you are we are seeing more people who aren't Irish uh, play it play it overseas. Obviously, plenty of people who aren't Irish play it in Ireland, uh, you know, when they come here. But um, 
sort of it's still so overwhelmingly dominated by sort of players within Ireland, like comfortably the majority, and then some of, of players worldwide live within the island of Ireland. And so, yeah, like, you know, it's, it's kind of unusual sort of, you know, that they remain sort of so high in terms of the national consciousness compared to when you think of other countries that are not of the scale of, say, the U.S. Obviously, people go, well, the NFL's pretty much its biggest place is the U.S. Yeah, but the U.S. is like, whatever, it's like, oh, it's like 300, 400 million people. It's a bit different to like, you know, four or five million people, which is what we are like, you know, well, if you include the whole island, it's closer to seven or eight uh, because obviously the games are played across in both Northern Ireland and Republic. But you know, it's like sort of, it's kind of rare that you have sports hold that level of prestige when they don't really have much international cachet as such. Right, right. Very, very many cultures create unique sports, but there are sports exporters and then there are sports importers. It tends to be um, like, again, if you think about something like sumo. Yeah. Now, yeah, of course, nowadays, sumo is drawing people from all over the world. I mean, they, they had a couple of Hungarian guys, you know, at the highest level uh, last I looked. So so it's getting to be out there everywhere. But in general, I mean, this is a five, six, seven hundred year old sport. We're just oh, organized. And only now is it getting out there. And it's only getting out there now because of this sort of neoliberal internationalism. But, for example, let's just get into hurling. Hurling is, as far as I can tell, one of the oldest continuous sports in the world, and yet it has traveled nowhere. But let me ask you this, just to put it simply, Emmett, what the hell is hurling? Can you explain it to me I, simply? Yeah, well, I'll start off by seeing a line from Jason Statham in a movie he did called Blitz. He described it as a cross between hockey as in field hockey and murder. Uh, so, which, you know, I, I thought was a wonderful description. Basically, you got a, a field, it's about, uh, I'm doing a quick math here, sorry. It's about 150 yards long, about 140 meters long uh, in total. So, and it's about an, another, I've actually forgotten the width, but it's about one and a half times the width of a football field is the best way to describe the width. And uh, so it's, it's a really big field. Uh, you got 15 players in each team, uh, and you're basically got this really small ball about, you know, again, I'm trying to even think of sort of, uh, the size, it'd be sort of, if you rounded out a hockey puck, I suppose, uh, you know, trying to think of sort of comparisons where y'all are. Well, like uh, lacrosse, it, right? It's, it's basically a lacrosse ball, isn't it? Yeah, very similar in size. Uh, but the difference is, you know, you get to handle this ball, like so, and you hit it with a stick, which is about, you know, a foot, uh, uh, just over a foot long. And uh, so, sorry, just over three foot feet long, my apologies. I, I forgot <laughs> how we, just over three feet long, like three and a half feet. And uh, you whack it really hard. And uh, you try and either score a point, which is over a crossbar, or a goal, which is into a goal, which is very similar to a soccer net, uh, only slightly smaller and uh, in terms of the net size, but substantially bigger than, say, an ice hockey net. And, uh, you know, and so you're trying to do that. And there is basically no padding. Helmets have become mandatory in recent years, but that was because of eye injuries, which were oddly not to do with the pace of play, but more sort of inadvertent movement, if that makes sense, because you're holding big sticks and like there's a ball going about <laughs> and guys might get high, high, high injuries. And, uh, you know, so it, it, you might, and people might immediately assume, well, it's going really fast and all that. It's like, yeah, the speed and the power is actually far less of a risk to the eye, which is still a risk than sort of inadvertent movements of elbows and stuff, which was sort of why helmets are basically brought in. And so, like, I always, I, like, I'm 40 now and I grew up always wearing a helmet, but helmets uh, didn't become mandatory until about I think we're talking 10 years ago. So you're talking, you know, most of my life, it's, it wasn't mandatory to wear a helmet uh, in the sport. So it's interesting in that respect, but it's very, very fast. And it's 
a nightmare to watch on television at times because uh, the speed of the play, because you're talking about guys are hitting this ball at like 60 miles an hour on an enormous pitch, uh, that keeping up with it, it's much harder to watch on TV than it is in person, which is I suppose, one of the things that's hurt its export p- potential, but there's a lot more to it than that. So the live experience is better. Oh, by far. Like, so Croke Park, which would be our national stadium, it's like, it takes 82,500 people. Uh, so it's upper deck. If, like, I've actually got my ideal spot. Like, so it's basically midfield upper deck is where I want to be. Cause you, you know, it's like, it's not so much about being close to the field, which I have done. I've had like pitch side seats, which sounds amazing. And you realize, yeah, but you can't tell anything that's going on is the problem when you're pitch side, you know, and even sort of your, your, your premium corporate seats, they're good, but actually a little bit higher than them is genuinely a better view, even though they're the same pro price seats as sort of you know you would be getting at, at sort of the lower tiers so it's interesting in that respect but yeah i played this as a kid and i you know oz knows that i'm the most athletic guy going uh so but uh, so it's a, it's a physical sport is what i will say as well like you know there's a lot of passion about like you know you hit the ball on the ground or with your hands and uh, you know so long as you know you're not deliberately going for the guy's leg, if the guy happens to get hurt in the process of you swinging, it's considered fair play. Like most of the worst injuries in hurling are not attempts at fouls. Like it's like I remember playing, explaining to people, you know, who, and I suppose to people now, it's like it's a sport which is violent by nature. As in, the, there is dirtiness. There are people who try to be dirty in it, but honestly, if you really want to hurt somebody, don't try. You're just going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what they always uh, say. If you if you're doing something like fencing or American football. It's most dangerous when you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I played offensive line American football, and all my worst injuries were total fluke accidents by mm-hmm. far. Like there was, you know, uh, large, large involved a fat person, often a fat person on my team, landing on my ankle. Mm. Uh, so not the same fat person, I will say. Like you know, it was different fat guys every time. But the downs of playing offensive line is you're all fat guys, and so the rest of your ankles is huge. You got fat guys who can't handle the ball. Exactly. Glad you brought that up about seeing it live because um, I wanted to ask you this. It is said that one of the great sporting events in the world is the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship. What is it about this competition that, that is so great? Well, the obvious thing is the best in sport doing it. But again, you're talking like guys who like they're playing a sport I'd have played as a kid. But when I'm saying they're doing stuff I couldn't imagine doing, like when I say played American football, I know I, I'm not as good as sort of, you know, the best offensive lineman. But I can understand everything that guy is doing when I'm watching it slow right. down replay. Right. And I can imagine me being able to mimic it at a slow down pace, if that makes sense. Like with hurling, sort of the speed they're able to twist, turn, move that ball. And I'm kind of going. Ah, oh, yeah, no, never would have been able to do that. And I played hurling a lot longer than I played American football. And, uh, you know, and it's like, it's just the speed they're able to move at, like sort of being able to turn a dime, and you don't even see how they're getting the power in their swing, and they're still like whacking a ball 80 yards at like 40 to 70 miles an hour, depending on what, the, what way they're whacking it. And it's just, it's the, it's the speed at which things move, because it's a, typically a high-scoring sport. Like in terms of scoring events in a game, you're talking like, you know, in a good game, it's like comfortably north of 40, uh, for scoring events, like wow. in a good game, like, you know, pos- and it's, it's a 70 minute match, like, so, uh, but you'll get games where it'll be up to like, you know, 60 of, of high, of high end matches. Like you can get some absolutely ludicrously high scoring games. Like, you know, there's different uh, forms of scoring, obviously, like, you know, like there was basically, but the two are basically a goal and a point. They're the only ones that matter. So it's like a goal is worth three points and you add it all up at the end and the team with the most points wins. Um, so it's 70 minutes, 35 aside, and it's like, you know, it's, it's like most European sports. There's no timeouts. There's no, you know, water breaks. There's nothing like that. Uh, we actually brought in water breaks this year entirely because of COVID because mm. we weren't allowed to bring 
it was, it was entirely purely in order to make sure that everybody drank from their bottle, if that makes sense, because obviously wow. you couldn't be rushing water in during the game. Yeah. And so that was entirely a COVID measure to make sure that people weren't sharing bottles. Like that's the only reason water breaks were brought in this this year. Uh, so, do you think that's going to stay? No, to be honest, uh, wow. I don't think. I, I think you most people like the lack of stuff. It's like you know, it's just so high paced, so crazy. Uh, but it's like a lot of codified sports. If you actually go back to sort of, you know, because if you think about most of the sports we follow, like the first championships in them weren't until towards the end of the 19th century, like soccer, 19th century, like, you know, Gaelic football and hurling are the same. They're both there. They were codified formally as in, in the games. Well, I say the games, you know, it's dated, but it's been changed a lot since then. But in 1884, in both those cases, and the first championships weren't until 1887, even though they were both sports have been played for a long time before that. Like there's like lots of stories of hurling and Irish legends. Uh, and you know, rugby didn't get invented till the mid 1800s. Obviously American football, you're talking like 19th century as well. Like pretty much every sport you and I follow that isn't horse racing or track and field, uh, by and large, like, you know, it isn't an ancient Olympic game, basically, uh, you know, is it wasn't codified until the 19th century, right. sort of when there became this sort of rush to do it. Right. Yeah. You're, you know, Jumping my gun a little bit here because I want to talk to you about that, with, especially with regard to Gaelic football. But let me get in on this because we've been dancing around this and I'm really anxious to talk about it. You promised me before the show that we could talk about some myth. Uh, yeah. Hurling appears to be one of the few sports that actually appears in myth, uh, aside from the actual Greeks who... Some folks believe that the first 10 Olympics were played among the gods. They had that when they actually had the first Olympics. That was the 11th one. So, so it, hurling kind of compares with that, uh, in Ireland. But, uh, okay. So can you tell me, uh, some myths and can you tell me like how prevalent these are? Are we going to talk about Finn McCool? Uh, close to Cullen, who's from sort of the, you know, sort of same era of mythology, like it's a big one. So, Cullen, which means the Hound of Cullen, and it's sort of how he got his name. So, he's sort of Ireland's greatest ever warrior. And how he got his name derives from hurling, basically. So, he had just played a hurling match while on the way to a party this guy Cullen was having. Uh, the problem was, he was really, really good at hurling. So, it was him against an entire team of guys. It's never listed how many in the story. But, like, you know, a modern team is 15. It's widely assumed teams back then were, like, 18 to 30 or something crazy like that. And he beat them all on his own. But, obviously, there was no time limits back then. So, he just took however long it was for everybody to be convinced, yeah, Cucullin totally beat us as a team. He's amazing. <laughs> but he's late to the party, and all he's got is his hurley uh, and his slitter, which was the ball is called. And the problem was, Cullen just assumed, well, Cullen isn't coming, so I better get the guard dog out in case, you know, any neighboring tribe comes along to try and raid this party and kill a bunch of people. So the dog's outside. Cullen has no idea. He's just rocking up late to this party. <laughs> and dog comes for him, and Cullen's got, like, you know, the only weapons he has are, you know, the slitter, the ball, and the stick. So he whacks the ball as hard as he can, as fast as he can at the dog, hits it in the temple, dog falls stone dead. And, you know, so... You know, Cullen comes out and is like, well, it's great you're alive, but damn, my dog's dead, yo. Uh, like, this is a really good dog. I can't make house safe forever. And Cullen goes, I got this. I will be your hound until such time as you, you don't need me. And so that's how he became Coo Cullen, the hound of Cullen. Uh, he's sort of mythologically sort of the biggest mansion towards his uh, hurling comfortably. Uh, like, it's one every Irish kid would have heard growing up. Like, mm. and you always associate Coo Cullen with hurling. He ended up being in sort of the, the Cooley saga, which is sort of uh, about a, a, a basically about capitalism uh, mm. and feudalism. Uh, mm. where, so the Queen of Connacht, which is one of the ancient provinces, it still is a province in Ireland now, her and her husband measured her wealth, and it worked out that he had one bull 
more than her and that made him richer and she was annoyed. So she went all the way to the East Coast to a place called Cooley and wanted to steal the brown bull of it. And the guy who owned it said, nah, this is my bull, you know, I'm not stealing it. So Cucullin, like, you know, as an Ulster guy, which is called Cooley, was part of that province, basically fought off like mad. And eventually he fell, but, uh, you know, so Maeve won, but it ended up being a fair victory because things didn't go well for Maeve after that. <laughs> but again, it's a whole lot of Cucullin, like, sort of, you know, noble sacrifice, like, you know, but kills a hilarious number of people in the defence, but just isn't good enough in the end. And, uh, you know, absolute, like, total, like, Ireland's greatest hero in that respect, even though it's all pretty much internal warfare when you think about it. So the so the national championship is played among county teams. Is the structure similar to the club structure in Europe? Uh, oh, well, you can only play for the county you're from, although, right. you know, people will actually often go on a, on a parent or granny rule or residency rule. So the classic one is there's lots of people who work as teachers. This is an amateur sport is a key thing, which we haven't mentioned, of course. Nobody's paid hmm. to play. There, there is some support for, like, you know, training expenses. Like, you know, there's grants, but, like, they aren't exactly great. Now, you can still make endorsement deals on the side, of, on the side, but, like, no one's getting rich from playing the sport, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but, the you know, so the classic one is if you reside there and, you know, it's clearly your home, like, you know, there's sort of, there's a sort of, you go to a, a regional board and they'll quickly approve if it's, if it's obvious you're not trying to take, take the mic, like, you know. Uh, like there's only a certain window in the year you're allowed to do it, but like you know, it's usually like you know a fait accompli unless you're being blatant. And the, the story with that is typically people move for work. So, but, but you know, you can place where either where you're from or where you live is a typical rule. There's the odd person who's played for a county of uh, parents and stuff, but that was typically because their parents just really did not want them to play for the county they lived in. They wanted them to play for their county. You know what I mean? And so, and again, nobody really argues that because no one for, there has been the odd county that's tried to go ridiculous over the years, but it's never really worked out for them. And so, no one gets too fussed about it. Is the best way to describe it. So, it's typically where you're from or where you reside. So, yeah, county teams are selected from the club teams, basically, within, you know, that county or within the players eligible. And it's a, you know, the, whole, the whole sort of core root of the, the Gaelic Athletic Association, the GAA, which is sort of governs hurling and Gaelic football, is sort of, you know, the club first and then the county. So mm, like, okay. that's led to a lot of sort of, uh, you know, arguments because obviously the county draws in more money and gets more TV time. But, yeah, it's like it's... At hurling is a bit smaller than Gaelic football, which I'm sure we're going to get to. But so there's only like about like, you know, eight or nine counties that were seen in any given year as being sort of in the top tier in hurling, uh, as in good enough to play the top tier, not necessarily with a chance of winning out of 32 who compete. And so you typically only have like 10 teams playing in the top tier competition every year. and There'd be like three tiers below that. So whereas a Gaelic football, the way it works is every county gets a go in the top tier uh, because no one's so weak that it, even though there are some mm. hilariously lost beatings no one's so weak yet that they've felt the need to, to grade it out so much all right let's shift gears into gaelic football is there promotion and relegation uh no but there's coming so there is a well there is a league as well but that sort of doesn't have any impact on the championship which is the main summer competition that everybody cares about so the league is sort of more seen as the spring competition uh so there are like four divisions of eight and that and that's standard two up two down uh, you know, with a, a final in each division every year, which doesn't affect promotion or relegation. It's just people like to get a trophy. Right. Uh, and, right. So, right. and so, like, that's that's the divisional champion or the overall league champion in case of the top division. But uh, the, the, with with hurling, there is promotion or relegation for sure. Football, it's sort of coming in in that. So it's going to get graded where uh, I think it's teams who actually are. It will be influenced by the leagues where your league position will affect where you can enter the championship. And basically some teams at the moment, it's not like this. will only be able to enter in sort of the secondary competition going forward, but we'll have an opportunity to go up and vice versa. Mm. 
the the problem essentially is that sort of it's gotten so top heavy now. Like Dublin have dominated the championship in recent years, which is where I'm from, my county is great. But they've won <laughs> the last six titles straight, wow. which is unprecedented dominance in the history of the sport. Wow. No one had done more than four in a row before. That had only been done three times ever in the you know 130 years of 30 plus years. And like you know, five in a row have been you know uh, famously was the closest it ever came was like in 1982 when a last minute goal changed it. But like you go forward 40 years and like you know Dublin are now in six and our favourites do seven. But even below them, like because even if you got rid of Dublin, the problem is your next two or three counties are so far above pretty much everybody else mm-hmm. that the goals are getting just too big, mm-hmm. and the smaller counties are finding it harder and harder to compete. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a result, people are kind of arguing that, well, we need to make you know, the summer matter more to the smaller counties or the counties for whom, say, hurling is bigger gale football isn't, so we need to give them reasons to still care about football longer. Mm. So it's it's kind of gotten interesting in that respect. Like, I would have grown up and Dublin would have had a fight even in their uh, province, or there's four provinces in their region to win the championship. They'd been favourites most years, but there were years they wouldn't be, and there'd be years, like, you know, sort of where they'd go out early, even in the provincial stage, right. so they might, you know, have a very early summer. Whereas I have just turned 40 odds, I have never in my 30, in my entire 30s, Dublin did not lose a single game in their region, in their province, wow. basically. So that's a like of Ireland. That's like, you know, comfortably unprecedented, I can tell you, like, you know, that does, that, that didn't happen. And like, so they, they, you know, that was one of those ones where it's kind of going, yay, great. Like, you know, it's like, uh, for me, it's on the one hand of the fan, it's like, you know, my team wins a lot, but the other side, you need competition, you need a reason to care. And I even noticed, so, like, when Dublin, like, say, won in 2011, it was their first win in 16 years. That was one of the wildest parties I've ever been at. <laughs> when, like, we went one, one sort of, you know, in a, I suppose what year would have been, I'm trying to do the math back, uh, you had 2014 sort of beat Kerry in a final. That was big because beat Kerry in a final. But then sort of it started to lose its luster. And even the four in a row was like, yeah, we've matched it. And it was only when we hit five in a row that the party got big again because, again, <laughs> Dublin had finally beaten a record that they had that, that somebody else held. And so that was a big deal. And I've got to do the math on it. I think it's still about four or five, five titles difference. It's only the next championship I could see being that big for Dublin to win would be when they get the overall lead, which is held right. by Kerry. They're the perennial powers. Right. But, like, you know, like Dublin won last year, obviously, in front of nobody. And, like, there was no fear of, the, of, of people breaking COVID rules for it. <laughs> Not because we're so good, but because, ah, yeah, it's just a sixth title. Whereas you get a county like Mayo, which has lost, I think, seven finals in my lifetime, maybe eight now, which is crazy. They haven't won it since 1951. They've been to the final like six, seven times. And uh, and they've got, they forced replays a couple of times. Like they're, you know, if they win, that county is just going to be a complete, like, you know, it's, you're talking county, it's about 100,000 people, I think, live in Mayo. I could be way off. I could be a bit low there. Uh, but, you know, that county is just going to be a disaster for the next month afterwards. <laughs> when they find their first. So, it, it kind of sounds to me like it's falling prey to what happens in North American leagues, what happens in European soccer and basketball leagues, where one or two teams win it every year. You know, in Greece, it's Olympiacos and Panathinaikos every year, right? Yeah. In Israel, it's Maccabi Tel Aviv forever and always, right? So exactly. it almost feels like that. It's unfortunate that there's no outlet. You know, there is no EuroLeague. There is no Champions League for a game like football. So. Yeah, and I, I think back even the, the 90s, because there was always the problem, like, Kerry were always powerful. But, like, the 90s, both Kerry were weak, and Dublin were good, but not, like, great. Like, so Dublin won one title in the 90s, Kerry won one title in the 90s. And, like, mm-hmm. Kerry's at the very end, it was, like, 98, 97 they won it. Uh, and uh, actually, they might have won 99 as well. I'd be a bit harsh on them. Uh, but, like, they won, so, but, but they were the two dominant powers 
only won three of the ten titles that, that, that you know, decade. And as a result, it was way more spread out. It was way more interesting. It was way more competitive. Right. You had a couple of counties win their first ever. You had a couple, one county that hadn't won in like 30 years or 20 years come back to win two titles. You know, and like you had a couple of other counties win, win actually another county which hadn't won in 30 years. So you had like two counties with like, you know, first evers, two with huge long gaps. Uh, you know, a couple of the perennials. So you had like the nice mix of, you know, your your power teams are still good, but everybody else is sort of, you know, rising as well. So you had this like sort of period where lots of teams got better. And that carried on until the early 2000s, where you had another couple of maiden victories. And really even sort of through to 2010, I suppose, when you had sort of become sort of two uh, two counties were, were dominating, but Dublin wasn't one of the most Tyrone and Kerry. Uh, Tyrone sort of in the north and Kerry's in the south for those who don't know Irish geography and but like you know it was still you had a lot more counties who were in the mix every year and it's only really since I hate to admit like that my county Dublin has sort of dominated that has become kind of hard to care <laughs> because you know for me as a Dublin fan I watch now just hoping to not lose to Mayo like the key mm-hmm. thing is to not be the they break the curse against because that would be the great shame uh, so and it's, it's, it's even ridiculous we talk about it that way you know and so like, I remember watching the final. Uh, it was because you mentioned basketball. I was at you, you know Euro Basket 2017, the last Euro Basket we've had so far, and I was at the final. And uh, but I, I knew that the Gale Football Final was on the same day, and I you know had made my piece that I wasn't going to make it to be in, be an Ireland for watching Dublin in the final. I'd made my piece with that before I went out, and so it's the morning of Slovenia Serbia. Well, it's the afternoon because the game is in the evening, and so I'm the only journalist who's not Slovene or Serb or one of FIBA's own staff who's already in the building this area. And so I've got the laptop open, and of course, I've been the one calm guy throughout the tournament, because I'm one of the few journalists who hasn't got a rooting interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're suddenly seeing me start to lose it in the last five <laughs> minutes of this game. And it was, but like, I wouldn't describe the feeling as joy, like, it was relief, you know? It was relief. It was weird. Because, like, had you, uh, uh, you know, five years earlier, when Dublin won their first in 16 years, like, in the fir- my first as an adult, like, you know, it was like, you know, oh, yeah, like, greatest party of my life. Five years later, like, I'm still a young enough dude, like, you know, and I'm still in the same part of my life, so to speak, uh, you know, life-wise. It's, the, the feeling isn't so much joy as sheer relief right. that we won. Right, You know, it's, it's that's weird, like, because people go, oh, boo-hoo, you're winning. It's like, no, nah, man, I want sports to be interesting, like, you know, and, like, it's great that, you know, we got the record and all that, but, Jenny, I, I just wish it was, you know, less predictable we were going to win. Oh, my God. You sound like a goddamn New England Patriots fan. <laughs> I thought you were going to say LA Lakers fan for a second. But oh, okay. no way, no way. I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't disparage a Lakers fan. Well, well, if it's any comfort, I hate the Patriots. Uh, uh, so. Well, they're less hateable now. All right, let's see. Okay, so we talked about this before. Gaelic football goes back to the late 1880s, 1887 to be exact. This is a time period when, of course, soccer or association football is kind of breaking off it's evolving into these different sports rugby you have you know association football is codified you have american football starting to distinguish itself even canadian football is is developing a variant what makes gaelic football gaelic football like what distinguishes it from rugby especially in american football well it's got two things coming on hurling which come in handy first off the pitch is the exact same size right uh, and actually three things the, the scoring is identical uh, and uh, the number of players is the same it's 15 a side which I've always assumed was a practical thing because like the same people ran both sports and I figured you use the same pitches and right. scoring right. Right. <laughs> same players uh, but uh, you know it's like so it's 15 players a side like and again you know you got goals you got points and a goal is worth three of those 
Uh, it was at one point ago it was worth like infinite points. Then it was reduced to five. Then it was reduced to three. And that was like over a century ago. And we stuck at three for over a century now. Uh, you know, there was a point where like goal was infinite points, which, you know, basically just led to goalkeepers getting like battered over the goal with a line. Cause, uh, but again, it's, it's a very physical game. So the idea is sort of, you know, you can kick the ball with, with your feet or with your hands from your hands. Most people will aim to do it with their hands. You can pass the ball with a, with sort of, you know, uh, a, a closed fist or an open hand, but it's got to be a striking action. So you can't throw it like a basketball is what I'm trying to say. And the idea is to, you know, get the ball up the field to score in your, uh, in your opponent's end. Uh, and the idea, obviously, is like, you know, sort of that's very hard because most teams are really good at defending and stopping you getting there. So that would be a much lower scoring event game than hurling. It would still have a lot of scoring events, but say the weather actually has a huge impact on scoring events in Gaelic football compared to uh, hurling. So in hurling, you'll still have crazy high scores, you know, by and large, unless the weather is utterly abysmal. Like we know as a Gaelic football sort of, you know, bit of rain and even like a harder pitch it'll drop it so like you know good game of match will have about 30 to 35 scoring events but in the winter a game could be great and it still might only have 25 scoring mm-hmm. events uh just because like you know it's just so much harder to move that ball uh you know the, 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 the also the elements frankly affect the ball more when it's being kicked in the air uh because you know it's going at a slower speed so it's not like you know dealing with the wind as bad as well as well as say a slitter was so that, that that's a huge f- impact but the idea is sort of you, you you can't just like run with it like a rugby ball. So you've got to like every four steps, you've got to either bounce it or you've got to, you know, uh, hop it on your foot. And uh, naturally, people can do things to you while this is the case. So you try to like move the ball from player to player more than do that. Although some guys, if you get open field, you're just going to run and try and do that. And yeah, like I played that as a kid. I suppose it was kind of weird in that I was a better player at hurling, but I understood football better. So uh, again, there's a whole lot of leaping, a whole lot of, you know, physical argy-bargy in it. Uh, I suppose I was just better at being crafty my physical argy-bargy and hurling, which just was the difference. Uh, and, you know, it's like I've written two books on Gaelic football, and so explaining sort of how the tactics have evolved over the years, because it used to just be hit and hope, and now, like, there's a lot more smartness in terms of how you play a long ball or how you maintain possession and how you control territory. People are realizing that territory matters a lot now as well, and in terms of how you sap a team's energy. So, like, you might see, like, I remember Dublin were playing against a county called Derry a few years ago in an All-Ireland semi-final, and that was much better than Derry normally do. And so Derry's tactic was to sit really, really deep uh, to try and make it harder for Dublin to break through and score against them. Yeah, play Dublin kind of, though. Yeah, yeah but extreme, defense. extreme defense, yeah. like yeah. sort of super cagey. Yeah. But the problem was Dublin were very aware of this, and all they had to do was really just like stand about 50 metres away from the goal, pass it amongst themselves. Derry be running like mad trying to close them down. Dublin are using no energy. They're just kicking the ball back mm-hmm. and forth. Eventually, the defense tires out and you just run through them. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to be smart in how you do it. It's the best way to do it. It obviously requires crazy fitness. Uh, like the part I think a lot of regular people in Ireland even don't cop is until they actually meet a player in person is how smaller uh, a guy who looks huge in Gaelic football is than in person. Like, because we'd assume, like, you know, we see a guy in rugby field who looks, you know, big and muscular, and we see a muscular guy in a Gaelic football pitch. Well, they're probably the same size, and there could be, like, 60 pounds between them. You know, <laughs> it's like, or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it basically requires more of a live body, really, to get by in Gaelic football than, than in, say, rugby. Aren't these two sports, hurling and Gaelic football, completely disparate in terms of skill set? Oh, yeah, Wiley. Although, you, you know, but see, it's, I suppose a lot of it comes back to sort of, you know, how people are introduced to the sport, which is why they're associated so much with it. One, it's the same governing body is huge. And, like, that governs, like, sort of uh, handball in Ireland. I don't mean, like, Olympic handball like you see in Germany and Europe, which is really cool. It's, this is also cool, but it's different. It's more of the handball you see in the U.S., like playing against a wall. Right, like, right, so that's a, right. Yeah, yeah, so that's the same governing body for that. But also rounders, which is... Oh, right. Yeah, which I don't know if you're, it's like, the nearest comparison is baseball, but obviously, 
yeah, but you know, it's like it's underarm and sort of you know, it's far you know more uh, family oriented in terms of sort of I don't mean so like sort of the sport, but I mean in terms of having you know, mixed teams is typical and it's a much slower pace overall, like you know. Uh, so because like you know people think well underarm that's like softball, it's like yeah no it's nowhere near as fast as softball. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like because uh, typically what you're hitting it with as well is like sort of you know no is is a much wider bat, mm-hmm. uh, and so that obviously reduces sort of the the power uh, coming off. So it's much more about the the running than it is about sort of the the ball work if that makes sense you know the fielding, and so yeah it's uh, you know so that's the same governing body for all those, and the weird part is is that. There are women's forms of these sports, because I know we've talked about the men's. In the women's, it's called ladies' Gaelic football, which everybody kind of goes, grr, because obviously it was called ladies back then. We prefer to call it women's now. And it's a slow movement towards what finally renaming it. Hilarity is dissociation itself, which is slow. And it is one of the, the most progressive feminist organizations going to be in sport. They just really like the name. And so that's yeah. why it's slow moving. But the women's form of hurling is called camogie. Mm-hmm. And again, it's goes back to his, history, because the GA back then, there were... Very manly men who didn't think women should be playing sport. They thought they should be playing, they should be in the kitchen, all that sort of horrible stuff. And so Komogi was formed itself. And, uh, you know, it still had a lot of, you know, uh, support from people in the GAA when it got going. And that sort of evolved to being identical to hurling in format now. But it used to be a little different. It used to be like, I think it was 12 a side and it was a much smaller field. And everybody kind of goes, this is stupid. We've got enough players now we can just play the same sport as hurling. So, uh, so there were women's versions of them, but like sort of they've, come along very differently. So Camogie would have had a lot more history than women's Gaelic football, for example, like there, you know, and so that's sort of much longer in the memory, but women's Gaelic football is way bigger than Camogie now because it's grown a lot more in like sort of a broader amount of communities, whereas Camogie always stayed more regional where hurling was strong is the best way to describe it. Mm-hmm. How is women's Gaelic football? I've literally seen none of it. Uh, it's good. It's fast. I, I suppose the, the, the one that annoys me is so you can't pick a ball straight up off the ground in men's Gaelic football, okay. uh, which sounds you know, grand, but like, it's the one confusing thing when you're watching the women's game if you're only used to watching the men's game. If you've never watched either, it all makes perfect sense, by the way. Everything, nothing's going to confuse you, which I know sounds odd. It's confusing. It's sort of like, you know, if you're, I'm, I, if you're used to speaking, you know, a particular sort of, you know, v- regional version of a, of a, of a tongue, uh, of a language, and then you hear a different region, and it's, t- so it's, it's got enough differences to message your head, where someone learning both from the start is fine up both. Right. Uh, yeah. you know, so it's basically, so there's these subtle differences. So the big difference really is that a women's, you can pick the ball straight up off the ground, whereas in the men's, you've got to put your foot under it, which doesn't sound that basic, but it's that slight difference in speed that, which is good, makes the women's sport actually better, to be honest. But it's so confusing if you've never watched it before and you're really familiar with the men's sport, <laughs> and it's like what? Because you're 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 sort of mentally used to, and they're going to turn like this now, mm-hmm. sort of you know when you're seeing oh, even a wide receiver or a tight end runs, and they're going to do that now when they bump off that guy, and then suddenly they bump a totally different way, right. and it makes no sense. And right, so well, that's, it's like Canadian it's, football versus American. Football. Yeah, yeah. So it's a yeah, that that's a brilliant example actually comparison. Like, yeah, so it's that like so you know, you're getting used to it, but when you get used to it you go, Oh yeah, this is cool. Uh and so so but yeah, no, it's it's come along great, like 'cause like when I would have been even in my late teens, it was still well, my mid teens early, it was still a very small sport because it just hadn't really grown, but they did a lot of work growing it you know, across other counties. And uh, the bad news is, well, well, well thankfully we aren't as bad as we we are in a men's sport. Uh, we're Dublin has becoming it's turning into an unstoppable powerhouse in that again. But Cork <laughs> beat us to the punch and being the most uh, unreal in that they were like one, I think it was ten All Irelands in eleven years, wow. which is just insane. Wow. Uh, and so yeah, that was wow. just crazy. Uh, so uh, 
uh, so yeah, but so like it's come along a lot though, and like you know, seeing like lots of other counties develop, or it used to be just you know a couple of counties were good and that was that, whereas now it's sort of much 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 more widespread, and it's it's great to see to be honest. Also. I don't suppose that there's any agreement on the greatest of all time argument in these sports, is there? Well, so Gaelic football, there's definitely a lot of argument over, but with hurling, it's kind of weird that there being an argument is more recent, so. For most of sort of, you know, you know, sort of way long time hurling has been played, people would have largely agreed Christy Ring was the best ever. Uh, he's this court guy from the, played in the 40s, 50s, who, uh, went bald at a young age, so middle aged guys could immediately appreciate him, uh, and, uh, played with a cap. And so he was just like absolute, you know, brilliant hurler for, for Cork. And honestly, I think the TV age is the one thing that sort of made people debate it more, because obviously we're seeing more guys play, play their full tr- tr- prime with all the games on TV. So you got like this guy Henry Sheffield from Kilkenny who, you know, was dominant force for a long time and has the most all stars of any player ever. Uh before him there was another Kilkenny player, DJ Carey, basically the same arguments. Yeah, it's kind of you know, I'd think most people would still you know, it's not it's not like sort of, you know, say uh basketball where people get, you know, argumentative over the LeBron versus Jordan thing. Uh where you and I both know it's Brian Scalabrini is the greatest basketball <laughs> player of all time. <laughs> Uh, but like, where it's like, you know, I think most people would just basically be like, ah, yeah, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, like Christie's the best of all time, but it wouldn't be quite as unanimous anymore. Gaelic football is a way harder question because I'm even trying to think, like, you know, loads of people would argue, like, most people would immediately come by like four or five names who they would consider in the pantheon, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but like, I, I suppose some people might argue Pat Spallan, but even then, you know, I think most of them, almost all of those would straight away go, but he's also, you got this guy, this guy, this guy. Pasquale was a carry player of the 70s and 80s. But I'm kind of going, well, yeah, but like, I've seen players better than him. Like, I, another carry player I was, the best I ever saw as a player, say as, as, as sort of a contemporary, sorry, obviously I wasn't any good, uh, was, uh, Colin Cooper from Kerry. Uh, and he was also brilliant. But like, there's a guy playing for Dublin now, Brian Fenton, who's been an extraordinary dominant force through this Dublin run. And like right now, he looks like the greatest of all time. Mm. Uh, but you know, it's like, I suppose it, 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 it helps, it helps him that like, you know, well, it hurts him, sorry, that he's, he's seen so much in that he's seen on a team that's just kicking ass every, every day. And it's like, you know, they're grinding teams to pieces. Like, you know, they're so good. Whereas some of those Spillane and Cooper carry teams did as well, but Cooper was looking that he had more competitive, you know, situations around him. Uh, like his team had to fight for a few more of their all Irons and Dublin did. Whereas Spillane benefited a lot from, People would just read or listen to him on the radio being good rather than actually see because there wasn't as many games on TV back then. So, yeah, okay, football, I'd say it's very sick to say there's no unanimous golden game with football. Whereas in hurling, it's sort of the, it's just presumed as Christy Ring, even though like the vast majority of people alive today never saw him play a game in their lives. This sounds like a lot of other sports. Cricket has this situation. Baseball has this situation if you're going with Babe Ruth as the greatest of all time. This, it's it's going to get to the point where nobody's was alive at the time Babe Ruth was alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, like, you know, it's, it's, cricket's always benefited from having crazy amount of uh, – baseball to a degree well, as well. That's Yeah, they both, they're both so stat-heavy yeah. they can at least lean on that a bit. Right. Uh, you know, but, like, you know, like, but like, even, like, if you think of, like, American football, as you call, you know, as I'd call it, sorry, football, where you are, the sport's totally different to what it was. Like, and that's including the size of the bodies. Like, you know, yeah. So, like, you know, like, like, I've always gone for, like, you know, best in the world of what you do is what I prefer to go with because – as well as in Ireland, the bigger debate is really who's our best athlete of all time, and that comes down to a soccer player or a runner or a boxer type mm. thing. And I'm like, 
I don't really care. I just care if they're the best at what they do, like, you know, which I know makes me less fun in a pub. But, you know, it's, it's like I, I don't get too, too wound up over it. Like, to me, the greatest of all time thing, it's like it's a bit of crack. But if you take it too seriously, like enjoy the greatest of your time if you can, is what I always say for sure. Because, you know, as a boxing fan, I've watched a lot of, you know, historical fights. Uh, one of the great defenders of Lennox Lewis because people go, oh, but who did he beat? Because, yeah, but did you see how he beat them? You know, it's right. like, you know, it's like, right. that's why, like, you know, it's like Lewis is like, oh, it's like one of the great underrated heavyweights because, yeah, because he was so good, no one could live with him. That was the problem. But, like, to me, the more fun question in LeBron versus Jordan is more how the two of them would be different as players if they played in each other's era. Yeah. Like, that to me would be fascinating to see. Yeah. Like, you know, if you could, if you could find a way to do that. Because, yeah. like, I still think Jordan's, like, you know, in conversation for greatest of all time if he's playing in the current era. But I also think he looks nothing like the Michael Jordan we watched. Well, there's this tremendous stat where they showed uh, when Harden averaged 35 points a game. So they threw up this stat during a game where it was like, here's the last three guys to score 35 points. And it was Jordan. And it had three-point attempts. One. Kobe Bryant, three-point attempts. Seven and a half. James Harden, three-point attempts. Thirteen per game, right? <laughs> yeah. Imagine Jordan taking like nine or ten three-point attempts a game. He would have averaged, what, like 40? No hand checks, it'd be awesome. Because like how fouls are being called now versus then as well. Like, right. But again, you kind of go, well, that, does that mean LeBron would be worse? I go, well, hang on, LeBron's a pretty physically tough guy. He might actually be better in a in an right. era where fouls weren't called as much because he could have, you know, thrown himself around a bit more. Yeah. Like then, he, you know, he's he's had to play within that element of his physicality. Like, you know, I think it, it goes both ways. Like, you know, I think LeBron, if like he wasn't shooting threes, like was basically told destroy the lane and you can basically. You will not be called for an offensive foul in your life. I think that would have been quite a terrifying sight. Oh, yeah, in the 80s, when in the early 80s, when the Lakers and the Celtics are just doing these track beats and it's 130 to 127, LeBron would have been awesome. Get out of his way. Oh, yeah. Well, see, the best guys would will find, the best players, sorry, because I'm saying that's sex. The best players will find a way to adapt to whatever era they're in because it's not just like, you know, how good they are, their time that makes them great. It's like that, you know, ability to compete and you know how they build their skills around that ability to compete that matters right a lot of these sports especially if you're talking about something like baseball have these very obscure skills that are required yeah and that's going to translate you know i mean ted williams supposedly could see the stitches on the ball well he could see the stitches on the ball in 2020 we'll get back to the truly the goats podcast in just a moment but first i'd like to take a minute to tell you about quite possibly the greatest website of all time, newspapers.com. If you're listening to this podcast or any of them at the Sports History Network, you're probably into sports history. And you probably also know that for learning about anything prior to, say, 1990 online, the typical search engines like are nearly completely useless. But then there's newspapers.com. Newspapers.com gives you access to over 640 million pages worth of news from North America, Britain, Ireland, and more, dating from 1798 to last week. Do up a search for Super Bowl One, the 36th Berlin Olympics, Wayne Gretzky's first game, whatever. Newspapers.com takes you there with historical flavor that search engines like just don't give you. And now, get a free one-week subscription to Newspapers.com by visiting SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. With a paid subscription, you'll also be helping to support the production of this podcast and other Sports History Network shows. That's SportsHistoryNetwork.com slash newspapers. Newspapers.com. Way better for searches than you know what I'm talking about. Okay, so what can you tell me about Teddy McCarthy and Danny Wall, who won championships in both sports for Cork in 1990? 
much more about Teddy than Walsh, I gotta say. So Teddy McCarthy was like, and he's like one of the last great dual players. Like there were a few guys who did dual after, which is basically playing both sports at the same time. And the the, the schedule required because remember most, all these people have jobs. That's a key thing to bear in mind. They all have jobs, and so you're trying to manage intercounty training and club training in some cases. Although during intercounty training season. People assume you're not going to be seeing that club stuff too much, you know. They uh, have to, like, fit both those in. And as the sports have become more and more professionalized, despite the players being amateur, you don't really see anyone play both sports with their county anymore that much at all, sadly. But Teddy's one of the last greats. But, yeah, it was... So so Teddy, like, played in both finals. I don't think... I think Danny might have been a sub in one if he... Uh, well, but I'm not entirely sure. He might have even, like, you know, gotten on the field in either now that I think about it. But, uh, you know, he was, like, sort of, you know, best known for, oddly, a... Uh, piece where there's this great bit of commentary which you got to look up the actual text stuff to get it correct about teddy mccarthy uh one of our great commentators michael murray did about him and it's just this he, he was like you know great player in both sports which again very hard to do because he was maintaining the schedule to do that like you know he was playing with a guy called mick mccarthy mccarthy is a common name in court course it is a brilliant bit of commentary teddy mccarthy to mick mccarthy no relation mick mccarthy back to, to teddy mccarthy still no relation the stopwatch has stopped it's up to god and referee now the referee is pat horan god is god nice and it's like, you know, because the odd thing, so while you do get a lot of people with similar names who play in the same teams, you do get crazy amount of siblings inside as well. So it actually is worth pointing out often, even though people go, sure, McCarthy, there's so many McCarthy's in Cork, a, a person might go, that's easy. It's like, well, yeah, but the thing is, if they are siblings, you must know as well. So it's like, and there's a lot of siblings who end up being good at county level. But yeah, so that, like 30 years ago, it shows the context. It was 31 year, years ago that Cork did the double. And it's rare for a county to be good at both at the same time. You know, we've had like the Cork got to the final in both in 2000, won the hurling lost the football i don't think any county's been in the final in both since the first any county's been as, as in is yeah has gotten both teams to a semi-final at the same time is i think the best anyone's done since then uh you know and which is you know says a lot because like you know it's only 32 counties in the country and when you reduce that to the hurling counties there's really only eight to ten at one time so so long as if they're good at hurling if their football team is good at the same time it's a good sign but it's it's only been done like four times in history twice by cork uh twice Tipperary, and the one cork did in, in the 90s was in 1990 i think it was like six decades after the last one before that like if not longer like you know so it's it's it's, it's largely seen as this unattainable goal to win both the hurling and football title in the same year is this just kind of the effect again that we see in so many sports where it demands your attention 12 months a year if you're a top-level player at large, he does. Like, I think we're lucky sort of in sort of the way sports are so seasonal over here. Actually, first, America is very seasonal in how it does the sports. Yeah. But, like, the commitment in terms of the, you know, the, there is not, not much of an off-season, because especially with the, the club aspect I've mentioned so much, if you're playing at a county, basically, your club season starts, like, you know, two weeks after. As in, your club has been playing matches the whole time, but they've been, like, lower-level, you know, competitions. But your club serious games start basically two weeks after your competition in the inter-county ends that's another brutal slog to try and win the county title which is a big deal for your community and then if you win your county title you try and win your provincial title for clubs and then there's an all-around title for clubs as well so you know if you're like you know a, a player at a high level and you might often say stay playing dual at club while playing inter-county at one uh, you know you will comfortably have a 12-month year doing it and it's probably why you see players retire so young these days uh, you know they like you know most guys once they hit 30 31 like, you know, they're giving serious thought to saying, oh, yeah, I'm done, lads. Like, you know, you'll have the odd player who lasts at 35, but that's exceedingly rare these days. Yeah, you see this in rugby, you see this in NFL football. Mm. These guys are just hanging up at age 30. Well, I hope, like, I haven't confused your listeners too much, like, is the one thing, you know, we've gone on a bit of a journey here. No, yeah. this is great. This is great, man. 
Well, see, it's great for us because we lo- we both love lots of stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's, just, <laughs> you know, it's like I'm not, I'm thinking, you know, it's like these guys have gone everywhere. Like, you know, it's like yeah, yeah, we have. Well, I'll, I'll leave you on this one because I was chatting to a guy who's English who lives in Ireland for his podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I was saying, yeah, it's sort of. I noticed lots of historical reasons behind it, but it always amazes me that these islands, like both the British and the Irish, didn't think indoor sports were the ones we should focus on, <laughs> given how much it rains. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, Emmett Ryan, thanks very much for joining us. Truly the goats. Thanks for having me, Austin. Great talking to you again, man. This has been a special edition of Truly the Goats. To find us online, visit trulythegoats.com. On Twitter and Facebook, we're at Truly the Goats. For more like-minded shows, be sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com. Like the man says, it's your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. Thanks to our guest for Truly the Goats episode 12, and, as it turned out, episode 13, sports writer and journalist Emmett Ryan. The Truly the Goats theme song is Fun on Street, greatest remix of all time, and is produced by David Liso of Dynamo Stairs. This is Oz Davis for Truly the Goats and the Sports History Network saying, Brian Scalabrini rules. And reminding you, keep on keeping that perspective. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude. And I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history. But as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment. You know that. Can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports yesteryear, starting with Podcast Network and our website. But we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. 
So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you got to do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter, because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you got to do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.